Shabbat Shalom. Romans chapter 14, part 2. I'm excited to get into this week's Torah portion. It's not a Torah portion. I've been saying that for over a decade, so it's hard to get, it's hard to spin into the realm of the New Testament. I'm excited about the Brit Hadashah. And I've discovered already within one short week that you cannot win whatever you say, whatever you teach on Romans 14. You're going to upset some people. And apparently, we're 14, aren't we? Oh, we're 13. Oh, sorry. See, I'm a week ahead. I'm already, I, that's where I was this week. I'm ready for 14 too. Well, maybe that, I hope that wasn't a prophetic word or something. Romans 13. Already upset people. And I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, just teach it as it is. But regardless, on either side of the aisle, when you talk about government, people have very strong feelings. So, again, please don't shoot the messenger. I truly, truly have gone into this with fear and trepidation. And I'm speaking from my experience and bringing the scriptures to you from a prayerful and devout perspective. And that's what I am called to do. Doesn't mean I'm always right. And that's why you guys are in the Word doing your due diligence so we can check, recheck, double-check those translations because most of this can be cleared up with context, history, and translation. Romans 13, and we're in verse 5. We already did the first four verses last week. So let's jump into Romans 13 and verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to be in submission, not only because of punishment, but also because of conscience. Again, we're fighting the status quo, which is, of course, the Christian Zionist status quo, Judeo-Christianity, which, of course, has brought us into this perspective with this verse in particular, would be, of course, submit. Submit. Submit to the government. It's the conscientious obligation of all of you to just submit to the government authority, period. Hmm. But in reality, <laughs> but in reality, verse 5 is telling us to submit to what? What? The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which convicts and guides your conscience. Read it. We are to submit to the Holy... That's a lot better, isn't it? I'm way more comfortable submitting to the Holy Spirit because I serve a what? Would you rather be at the mercy of sinful men or the mercy of Yahuwah? What do the prophets tell us? I would much rather throw myself on the mercy of Yahweh than the mercy of sinful men. Because the mercy of sinful men is tyranny. I've pled for the mercy of sinful men. I've asked forgiveness. 
of judges. And got none. So what happens when the sinful man stands before Yahweh at the end of days and they ask for forgiveness? Will it be given? No. Especially on the testimony of two or three witnesses. We are living right now a life of what the angels inquire about. How did they do that? Do you realize that? Every day we are living a life of what the angels, the malachim, inquire about. Of what the prophets of old will say, Oh yeah, you want to know about Abraham, Isaac? No, we want to know about how it was that you were able to sustain the faith 2,000 years past the crucifixion and resurrection in a chimera-infested society which had gone AWOL. With chemtrails, bugs, and all kinds of weird phenomena that only those around in Genesis 6 would have understood. That's the world that we live in today. What they made movies about in the 80s, we live in today. It's wild. So in reality, verse 5 is telling us to submit to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit-led conscience within each and every believer, which has always led one to what? The Holy Spirit will always lead us to the righteous judgments of Yahuwah. So if a magistrate or a judge is established by Yahweh in harmony with the judgments of Elohim, as his minister, then we should likewise seek to be in shalom, to be in harmony with the magistrates and powers. To do otherwise would actually be in rebellion to Yahweh. It's balance. It's temperance, isn't it? It's meekness. He's looking for us to be balanced. That's called maturity. And that's the hard thing. It's hard for me. Especially when it comes to Romans 13. And that's why I've had to seek the counsel of elder men who've literally come alongside me and held me accountable when I've gone before judges. Right? Right? Exactly. You see, we are to avoid factitious men. We are to avoid factitious and seditious persons who oppose good government. I said it. That's going to upset some people. But these types of persons are to be marked and to be avoided in our assemblies. Because they'll creep into our assemblies and they will become, in fact, monsters and enemies to the assembly in the end times and a danger to the camp of the righteous. They will. You see, a libertine spirit, listen, a libertine spirit that just wants to fight 
and oppose the government is a rebellious spirit, and rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And a lot of them have been dabbling in all kinds of funky stuff out there, and it has affected them through their generations. Because they just want to fight government at every turn, and it's usually... It's usually just a rebel cloaking their behavior in religiosity. Just a rebel cloaking their behavior in religious garments, using the Bible to justify their own seditious lifestyle choices. I have seen so much of it especially in the Hebrew roots movement. They're usually unemployed, running from the government, living in their mother's house. I'm serious. They're usually unemployed. Usually, if there is a woman in the picture, she's out there working while they're being seditious at home alone. Aren't you supposed to be like 11 when you do that? But, you know, I've seen it all. Trying to put a religious cloak on their seditious lifestyle choices, always at the expense of you and me, the believing community. What is that? What is that? That reminds me of somebody. Who does that remind you of? That reminds me of Judas. Back up, he says. That reminds me of Judas. Judas was politically motivated. He was a rebel cloaked in religious garments that was politically motivated, opposed to government, but he was willing to co-mingle with the government to get his own what? Way. And what happened? He went and drug Yahushua who went willingly like a lamb to the slaughter. And we know what happened. You see, this is the problem. The context of verse 5 is reality. Your conscience, my conscience, should be led by the Spirit, not by my carnal man. And I'm teaching this to you Because I am qualified to teach this. Because you who know me know that Matthew's natural man is the biggest what? Fighter, rebel. I grew up fighting the system. Ever since I was a kid. Whenever there was structure, I would go right to the edge. I would find those boundaries and I would find a way through All the time. All the time. I landed on this continent when I was 19 years old. I found out how the system worked. I paid no income tax. I had low, I had um, 
free housing, no, low-income housing. I had free medical, dental. I figured it all out. Oh, yeah. And then, and then the consequences came. The consequences came. And they stayed with me for a decade. And that's the problem. And you know that, right, Kevin? In your industry. The prisons industry. (laughs) Right? Consequences. So, again, I'm qualified to teach this because I've fallen into the trap and Yahuwah has delivered me. And because of that... I can now share my testimony to you, and I've also got the discernment to see those that had that familiar spirit. Right? But at times, and the elder brothers will testify, my compassion and mercy, because Yahweh has been merciful to me, has caught me unawares. And I just recently went through a situation Because, based upon my compassion and mercy, I made a bad judgment call. And it ended up not good for me in front of judges. So this chapter for me has been so close to home that I've really been very fearful about teaching it because I know that I want to teach it by his Ruach HaKodesh and by the anointing that comes forth by us delving into the Word. So we have to be careful. I have to be careful not to be seditious and just a rebel against authority. Right? I mean, I said it last week, I'll say it again. Do you think Daniel kept the laws of Babylon when he was in Babylon? Yeah. He worked within their very legal system. In fact, he gained access all the way to the places of power, did he not? Because he was a rebel? No. He worked within their legal system. You can't expect Babylon to run by the laws of Yahweh. And you can't expect mystery Babylon to run by the laws of Yahweh. We are in exile. You can't transpose the Torah... And Yahweh's laws upon this nation. Because this is a nation of exile. And they are under the rule of their own gods. When Yahweh's Torah goes forth, it's going to go forth from Zion. That's millennium. So yes, we have a hope. But to think that it's going to come into fruition here, uh, it's going to come into fruition in Yahweh's land. Once he does the expansion and we're in the millennium. So we have to be patient. So look at verse 6. For this reason, oh, you're going to love this. I'm actually going to talk about taxes. Now, am I going to step on some toes here? Either way, either way I play it. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I'm going to offend one side of the aisle today. I don't know which one. Not you guys. I'm talking out there. But I've just got to continue to stead forth and go forth within the word. For this reason, 
you also pay taxes. For the authorities are Elohim's servants attending diligently to this very thing. Let's just skip this verse and let's go on to... Of course, the Judeo-Christian interpretation is believers are obliged to pay taxes to all civil authorities. Let's look at the context. For this reason. What reason? For this reason. What reason? For this reason. You mean... The reason is because we've already identified that they're Elohim's ministers. That reason? Yes, now that's the reason. Hmm. Those who perform the duty of Elohim's rulers are supposed to be continually attending to public welfare. If you're serving Yahweh, you should be attending to public welfare, right? Which is what? The widows and the orphans amongst you. It's not the 22-year-old that's bombed on the street saying, Hey, man, give me some money for some pizza. I'm like, uh, I've got a business down the road. I've got windows that need to be washed, garbage to take. Do you have any spare money? Spare money? Well, what planet do you live on? Spare Since when is it spare? Even if you've got a ton, you account for everything. You give, you save, you live. Right? In that order. And then once you've done all that, if somebody comes up to you and they've got some cause, because everybody's got a cause, I am quite happy to say, No, thank you. And people can judge me and say, he didn't give to... I've already given. I've already saved. So now I can live and I can turn down your cause because I've already taken care of everything and I am free to do that. You see, most of the people that are attending to all these crazy causes, they haven't done what they were supposed to do in the beginning, which was give, which was then save, and that then leaves you a life to live. It's called freedom. But most of you are in slavery to what? covetousness. You want something that you can't afford, so therefore you go into hock for it. That's covetousness. And we're all tempted by it, myself included, but we have to learn how to live. And that only comes after we give and save. What's your margin? Everybody's got a margin. Think about it. Because if you've got no margin, you're in prison. Whether it's your time, 
If you're right up to your margin, you are about to crack. Now, that's my problem that I really have to monitor, and you know it, time. Because I can push it right up to my margin, and when I do, who pays for it? Me? Ah, yeah, my wife and my kids. So I've got to go, what's my margin there? Financially, what's your margin? You need to be way back from your margin so that you can live and be in peace. But if you're right up to your margin, you've got no peace. And he's called us to live in peace. This is all basic stuff, but it's not taught nowadays. And Yahweh has called us what? To be a people of peace and light and a witness. And we need to make sure that we do things correctly. Because then, when we talk about taxes, you're all going to be a lot more balanced. But if you're right up to your margin, and then we talk about taxes, guess what? You're going to come out fighting. When those in authority institute, and they do, when they decide to institute extravagant and oppressive taxation for the support of unprincipled and unnecessary wars or the performing of corrupt and useless men, then we might want to question it. Thomas Jefferson said this, To compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions or actions which he disbelieves or abhors is sinful and tyrannical. So each man, each of us, is to be stricken by his conscience. So I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you to listen to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and be stricken in your conscience. I refused because of my conscience. I refused to pay and sign up for Obamacare. Now, that's not condemning somebody who did. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. I refuse to do that. I am not signing on to that. I am not putting my hand to it. Was there a consequence? Yes, I was fine two years in a row. It got increasingly more. I refused to pay the city of Salem downtown parking tax because they allotted me a number of spaces based upon my square footage that was unjust in my opinion, and I refused to pay it. Was there a consequence? Was I held accountable? Did I get sent to collections? and end up paying more than I would have in the first place. Yes! Yes! But that was my conscience. But sometimes the consequences... This boy has had a lot of consequences in his life because I am stubborn and stiff-necked because I am Israel, and so are you. And you're stubborn and stiff-necked too, all of you. If you are Israel, in some way or another, it may be different than me, but it's true because Israel is a stubborn and stiff-necked people that Yahweh is going to reign in by their conscience and his Holy Spirit. It's better than being a redneck. 
Be stiff-necked, not a redneck. You could make a t-shirt about that. That could be in your messianic marketplace. He's putting it down. Dane is writing that down for the Sukkot. If you're coming to Sukkot, we are going to have the most amazing messianic marketplace. I'm telling you, it's going to be incredible. Every little bit of paraphernalia, hats, t-shirts, it's going to be wild. Come to Sukkot in Salem 2017 because you have never seen a messianic marketplace like what you're going to see. I'm, I'm selling it here for you guys. Not on Shabbat, but let's continue on. I'm trying to make light of the tax issue. Can you see? I'm dancing around up here. Okay, so let's move on. It comes down to who is the God of your conscience, man or Yahuwah? Who's the God of your conscience, man or Yahuwah? When there arises a conflict between Yahuwah's law and man's law, then you choose Yahuwah's law. But there is such a thing as biblically authorized taxes. And as such, we are explicitly charged to pay them. So again, be aware of the factitious and seditious man for faction's sake, just as you should be aware of that docile plum whose God is government. You've got to tack the narrow road. Look at verse 7. Pay to everyone what is due them, tribute to whom tribute is due, tax to whom tax is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due, fulfilling the law, the Torah, through love. Now, of course, the Judeo-Christian interpretation of verse 7 would be that believers are obligated to pay all taxes that are placed upon them without any question, even if it's oppressive and used to finance wickedness. But I would question that as I've questioned every single verse, as you should question every single verse. Because when a nation uses its wealth and power to hurt and injure the public, then we need to question that, don't we? We surely do. You see, in the context, going back to verse 4, we have to look at when they start to injure the public, don't they then move away from being Elohim's ministers to Satan's ministers? Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. You see, Paul is very aware of both the change in tax law and restrictive civil religious laws that Nero began implementing around this time. Remember, this is a letter to the Romans. We can have some fun. We're in the 21st century, but we don't want to divorce it from the context is Paul is addressing Romans And they are seeing that Nero is changing the tax law. He is bringing in oppressive taxes and Nero is getting more and more oppressive and restrictive with his government financed by taxes. And ultimately, it's going to end up with believers, Nazarenes, in the dust pits as lions devour them. That's the end game. Or lighting up his garden at night tarred on torches. 
That's the end game, and we know that, but they didn't. They saw it coming. They saw it ramping up, just as we see it ramping up in our day. When we see the FEMA trucks going up and down the highways, we see our police are kitted out with all of that stuff that you paid taxes for that went to fight unjust wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. You see now that what? The government is gearing up for something just, this is prophecy, just as the Romans saw that the government was gearing up for something and it was funded by taxes that became more and more restrictive and oppressive. Just recently, and business owners here in Salem, Oregon, their taxes, 43% increase. 43% increase based upon what? Some bill that was passed through when everybody was sleeping. 43%. Boom. Small business owners. Be careful. While they were sleeping. So you have to be very careful. But Paul knows what was going on in Rome. Believers should pay taxes. To whom taxes are due. But. But. Are taxes really due. To those who promote the murder. And rounding up of believers. To which ends Rome was fast approaching. Under Nero's government. Second Chronicles 19.2 says thus. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate Yahweh? Because of this, wrath from before Yahweh is against you. We have to follow our conscience as believers, verse 5, because to willingly finance and submit to ministers of evil is in fact akin to endorsing their wicked and evil deeds, is it not? You've got to be careful. Luke chapter 23 verse 2 says this. And they began to accuse him, Yahushua, saying, we found this fellow subverting our nation. Did they really say that back then? That sounds jolly English, doesn't it? Hello, dear fellow. I mean, that's the King Jimmy for you, isn't it? Really? That's not very Hebraic, is it? And we found this fellow subverting our nation, forbidding payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Messiah, a king. Now, of course, from this verse, we can see that Yahushua was obviously not teaching what many clergymen and churchmen say he was teaching when they misquote Matthew chapter 22, verse 18. Let's turn there. Because, of course, everyone rips this one right out of context. You know where I'm going. But Yahushua, knowing their wickedness, Matthew 22, verse 18, said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and they said unto him, and he said unto them, in fact, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, Give therefore or render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's 
unto, unto Elohim the things that are Elohim's. We've all heard that verse, right? So many times. What's going on here? The Talmudic Jews were feeding Yahusha rope, weren't they? They were feeding him rope and hoping that he would hang himself. They were setting him up. Just as today, just as today. Think about it. If, if Yahushua was promoting Caesar's tyrannical tax, then why would the Talmudic Jews try to entrap him? Have you ever thought about that? If he was really promoting Caesar's tyrannical tax, then why would the Talmudic Jews try to entrap him? It makes no sense. Obviously, Yahushua wasn't paying taxes, and the Jews knew it. I told you I was going to offend some people today. But wait, 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 wait. If I'm going to make a statement like that, I should back it up with some scripture, don't you think? Because you know they're out gunning right now. You just said you don't think Yahushua paid taxes to Caesar, exactly. No. I don't think he did pay taxes to Caesar. I think that they were trying to entrap him because they knew that he didn't pay taxes unto Caesar and he was an easy target. Let's feed him some rope and get him hung. But he's wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Yahushua avoids their noose and he challenges them by saying, Who's your God? Who's your God? Because that's the root of it. What God do you serve? If you're serving Caesar, you should pay Caesar. But if you're serving Yahuwah, you better pay the tithe unto Yahuwah, right? We've already seen what they were doing with the mint and the anise and the spices. And they were not. They were taking that Corban, which should have been what? Given? And they're saying, oh, I can't take care of my parents. This is Corban. Hypocrites, brood of vipers. So we already know the context. But I said I'd support it with Scripture. I don't believe that Yahushua was paying taxes to Caesar. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. You've got to be aware. Pay attention because it's right here. When they, I love this. When they came to Kafanachum, Capernaum, or the village of Nahum, Kafanachum, Capernaum, the village of Nahum, the collectors of the temple tax, Caiaphas, and we know that he wasn't righteous, Caiaphas came to Peter and said, your teacher pays the temple tax, doesn't he? Setting him up, feeding him rope. And Peter, because we know that Peter has got a problem with telling the truth, doesn't he? Right? I mean, we know that later, don't we? I mean, with the old cock crowing and all that. He doesn't, he's not exactly honest, right? So what does he do? Oh, yes, 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 Peter said. Really, Peter? Yes, Peter said. Now, when Peter came into the house, Yahushua spoke to him first saying, What do you think, Shimon? What do you think, Simon Peter? The kings of the earth, I love it. The kings of the earth, from whom do they collect tolls or tax?
from their sons or from strangers? After Peter said, from strangers, Yahushua said unto him, then the sons are free. (laughs) Then the sons are free. But so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw out a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take that and give it to them for me and for you, for your sake too. I, I love Yahweh's word. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is wisdom and divine inspiration that beyond you can take any writing on the planet. And there is nothing so beautiful and inspired to give wisdom as the word of Yahweh. Everything that we need is here, is it not? Look at this verse. Yahushua is the Melech HaMalachim, the King of Kings. And he corrects Peter and informs him that those under his authority, the sons of Elohim, the sons of the King, were exempt from taxation of other kings. It's right there. The sons of Elohim who serve the king of kings are exempt from taxation of the nation's kings. Am I making it up? Or is that what's just right before me? Yahushua then goes on to tell Peter to pay the tax. And here's wisdom. Yahushua then goes on to, because he's not a rebel. Yahushua is not a rebel. He then goes on to tell Peter to pay the tax so as not to offend them and to be proven a liar. Because we already know Peter's got a problem with lying. You don't want to offend them and you just lie to them. Where does he get the money from? Does a ministry of Yahweh pay taxes? Does he take the money out of his ministry funds? No, it doesn't. We are tax exempt according to the Bible. I don't go to the government and beg for something that I already have that you already have. Okay? That's clear. Because we serve the king of kings. And Yahushua isn't going to pay taxes out of ministry funds. So he goes and gets the money from a fish to pay the tax because he is using wisdom and because he doesn't want Peter to be found out as a proven a liar. The note here that's important to take away is that Yahushua didn't allow Peter to pay out of their own ministry funds because they are automatically tax-exempt. Instead, he was getting the money out of the fish's mouth. But we have to walk according to our conscience in verse 5. In reality, you and me, in reality, you and me, as servants of King Yeshua, and the Benai, the children of Elohim, 
We're not subject to the tax of other kings. Do you see that? It's right there within this very scripture. We certainly shouldn't pay taxes out of ministry funds. It's tax exempt. But, and here's the but, even though I'm free and you're free from taxes as a son of the king, if evading tax would cause me to lie, if evading tax would have caused me to offend the tax collectors, my conscience, personally, my conscience leads me to realize I'm far better off paying the tax and using the tax code to my benefit. That's my conscience. I'd rather use the tax laws to my advantage and not live hamstrung in vocation and calling because that isn't a life that I want for me or my family. Temperance, balance. Think about it. I've seen so many people trying to evade paying taxes and it ends up with a poverty spirit. My trade is that people would pay me cash. And back in the old days, I'd take some of that cash, stick it in my pocket. Finally after I sat down with an IRS investigator to clear up my old company before I closed it down and opened up my new one because I didn't want anything following me and I came clean. I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to pay for a good accountant, a good bookkeeper, and a good lawyer. And I'm just going to literally, whatever comes in, I'm going to put it in the till I'm going to claim it, and I am literally going to write off everything that I possibly can. And I am going to scan all my receipts. I am going to use that tax code. And I am now living with a kingdom mentality. I'm free. How I used to live, it was a poverty mentality. Now, people try and pay me cash. Fine, it's fine. It's going right in the till. You're going to get a receipt for it. I, I, I write it all down. I claim it all. And I write off and have no problem writing things off. If you go out for dinner with me, with the ministry, I'm going to pay for it, and we're going to write that off. You go out for me at my business for dinner, lunch, I take you out by it. I'm going to do it on my business card. I'm going to write that off. Everything I can legally, I use the code. That to me is my conscience because, again, I pushed the limits when I was younger and I don't want to live that anymore. And I paid the consequences twice. Twice. When I became, when I got my American passport, I came clean. And then when I closed down my last business, I came clean again. Both times with the IRS. 
So, again, what does Yahushua show us? Yes, you have the liberty to do that, but sometimes you need to take the higher ground. You don't want to do anything that is going to tempt you to lie, Peter. And if you offend them, you have poked the sleeping bear, is it really going to be better for you? Is it really going to be? Because if they want to start investigating you, you think you're that smart? You, have, you think you have the kind of resources that they have? Mm-hmm. Document, document, document. So, again, I've learned a lot, and I don't want to see people with a poverty spirit when they could have a kingdom spirit. It's a poverty mentality that keeps people looking over and trying to always buck in the system. But it is a kingdom mindset, a kingdom spirit that says, you know what? Give, save, live. And that includes give the tithe, give up the taxes, save for your future, your children's future, posterity, but also save in preparation for paying the taxes. And then, live. And if you make some silly financial decisions, which I have, I've got one sitting in my driveway. You go, yeah, but it's not crippling because you've done what you needed to do and you can still sleep at night and it's okay and you're free. Freedom to me is better than all the money, mansions and what this world could offer. I want to be free and that is what the Holy Spirit gives us. And that's what Yahushua wants for us. Then he wanted Peter to be free. Yes, you are a son of Elohim, the son of a king. You are exempt from paying taxes of foreign kings. But you don't want to lie and you don't want to offend them. We're not going to pay out of ministry funds because we're tax exempt. We don't go to the government begging for a status that we already had. Even the IRS is like, why do churches do that? I think that was only done in the 50s or 60s. We use the tax code for our advantage as it is built. And again, many people are going to be upset. But we have to understand, look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, he bypassed the taskmasters. He didn't deal with the local taskmasters, the local municipality. He didn't deal on a state level. He didn't mix or parlay with the legal minds of that day, did he? No. He had the legal right to gain access to the highest position of the land, not the land or earth but he went and gained access to the highest position because he was walking in a kingdom authority and a kingdom mindset. He wasn't walking like a slave, was he? And because of that, he was amazing what he could do, as could Daniel. 
Walking with that kingdom mindset gets you out of the mire, out of the clay, always looking for a loophole will keep you shackled with a poverty spirit. And with that, I must now go forth and tear down an idol. That idol is, I'm sad to say, the Constitution. It has become, always was, in fact, our national, I say our, America's national idol. And again, this is going to be touching on some very uncharted ground. So I'll use the word of Yahuwah to tear down the Constitution. And you can choose which God that you want to serve. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, Yahuwah said this, I am Yahuwah, your Elohim, who has brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That's where I'm standing. Or are you going to stand Here, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America? Or will you be like the priests of Baal and stand in the middle robe and be between two opinions? If you're going to serve Yahuwah, serve Yahuwah. But if you're going to serve we the people which is secular humanism, then serve we the people. What has been the battle that Yahuwah has always fought? What has it always been? From time memorial, what has been the battle that Yahuwah has always fought? What has Israel's problem always been in those wilderness murmurings? It's always been the problem of we the people Rising up against Yahuwah. It's always been that problem. That is the problem. The people rising up and asserting their will against Yahuwah's will. And what did Yahuwah call that? He called it idolatry. That's how the preamble of the United States Constitution begins. We the people, the God of secular humanism. What happens when you join a mob judgment? Exodus chapter 23. You see, what we have to look at is history. Because we now have those of the 18th century, 
we the people, secular humanism, rising up over the colonies of the 17th century that were grounded in the law of Moses and the Bible. That's what we have. We have got 18th century America rising up with the Constitution, the God, we the people, rising up over the colonies of the 17th century that were grounded in the law of Moses and the Bible. That is the problem. And we only go back to the Constitution and you forget what the 17th century was about in New Haven, Connecticut, So we have to tear down the national idol like Abraham, like Gideon, so that we can move forward in these last days. And this is going to be hard for some of you, and it's going to be hard for you that are patriotic, but we have got to work through this because you can no longer be between two opinions like the prophets of Baal. If you're going to serve Yahweh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, then serve him. But if you're going to be like the children of Israel and you're going to choose we the people and the wilderness murmurings, that secular humanism, it's idolatry, and then serve Baal. But you can't be between two opinions, not in these days, not in what is about to come around the corner, my children. And I am a child of Elohim along with you. I'm not above you. I am the least, brethren. I have made so many mistakes. But he has given me the courage to go forth through his word to speak these things in these days because it is so important that the truth go out. There has always been a battle between we the people and Yahuwah. Aaron went so far as to make Yahuwah a collaborator with him in his own idolatry. Are you doing the same? Are you doing the same? Are you making Yahuwah a collaborator with you in your own idolatry? Christian America has done the same. The Bible is very clear when it comes to elections. You're not going to like this. And I am not telling you what to do. That is not my job. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and what Your conscience, guided by the Holy Spirit, is going to tell you what to do. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. There is only one who has the right to elect. And it ain't you. And it's not me. It is Yahweh. I don't have that right. (laughs) Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15 You will indeed set yourselves a king whom Yahweh your Elohim chooses. Who? Whom Yahweh your Elohim chooses, one from among your brothers, will be appointed as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And when you come to the New Testament in Acts chapter 1 verse 23, right after Judas had hung himself on his sword, And they decided that they were going to, what were they going to do? They were going to appoint two. You see, we have the right in the Bible to appoint. 
And then when we appoint, what do we do? We appoint at least two. You can appoint more. Then you cast lots. And who's in the lot? Yahuwah is in the lot. And then Yahuwah elects. You and me have the right biblically. If you want to, if you want to be a biblical literalist and a scripturalist, which I am, I live by the word of Yah. Whatever it says, I am going to adjust to it, regardless of how I feel or who I offend, because that is what He has called me to do since I was 24, and it has made me free. We have the right to appoint. And then we cast lots, and Yahweh is in the lot, and he elects. The disciples, they follow Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15, to the T, Acts chapter 1, verse 23. And they nominated two, Joseph called Barab Barsabbas, also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed, they prayed, and they said, Oh, Yahweh, who know, because you and I, we don't know the hearts of men. Oh, Yahweh, who knows the hearts of men, show us which of these two you have chosen to take the position of this office as emissary, from which Judas turned aside to go his own way and his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell upon Matichahu or Matthias, and he was added to the eleven emissaries. We know the last verse of Proverbs chapter 16 says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but the very decision is from Why don't we do that? I was in tears this afternoon because I spoke to a brother in our own assembly. I said, do you vote? He said, I so wanted to vote, especially this last election. I hadn't spoke to him about anything I was going to say. I literally grabbed him, hugged him, and I was crying. I said, what did you do then? He said, you're not going to believe what I did. I said, tell me what you did. He said, me and my family, we prayed. I wrote down, because I really wanted to vote, 70 yeses, put them into a bag, and one no. And I prayed to Yahweh, Yahweh, should I vote? And guess what he pulled out of the lot? 70 yeses and one no. He said, I didn't vote. I will never vote again. And I wanted to maybe do like three lots. And then I thought, no, no, I'm just, I'm just. I'm like, you did it. Really? He showed you that too? Because he showed me that. Wow. And I had shivers all down my body. And I know that's the Holy Spirit. Be that as it may, your conscience will lead you to make whatever decisions that you need to make. I'm not telling you what to do. But remember this. I thought this was going to be a short message. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. This one might keep you awake at night. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily 
or take part in the sins of others, keep yourselves pure. And somebody said, well, you're not laying hands on him. Matthew, you're taking that verse. What do you think you're doing if you're not laying hands when you elect, which you're not supposed to do as Bible believers. You're supposed to appoint because there's only one if you're going to follow the Bible that is supposed to elect. Do not lay hands on one hastily or take part in the sins of others. So Yahweh is saying that you can actually take part in the sins of others by an action that you did because you didn't think about it. Meaning, if you, what was the first bush? What was his name? Was it George? I get confused. George H. So if you, I wasn't, yeah, I was here, but I was a heathen back then. So, you know, I'm free at that point because, you know, once the blood came, boom. But now I am called to walk in righteousness, right? To him who knows it is sin, now it is sin. But if you, if you elected the first bush, you might not have seen anything until 20 years later. Because that first bush that maybe you elected, I don't know, 20 years later, the ramifications came forth. Meaning, when the first Bush was elected president, he actually elected a judge. Twenty years later, that judge that he elected, that was the judge that swayed the vote and said it is now a good ruling that you can have same-sex marriage. So, your vote helped put that into effect. Do not lay hands on somebody. Think about it. You voted for George. George appointed a judge who 20 years later, that judge, yes, that judge was the judge that decided that now marriage can be between a woman and a woman and a man and a man. And you elected him, but you didn't see it till further down the road. Do you think this country is getting better since the Constitution or worse? Is it getting more Yah-fearing or worse? So all of your elections, have they made it more Yah-fearing or worse? And I know your emotions. My wife is going to literally tear me up when we get home. She's a good woman. But we differ on so many things. And the emotional response is, well, and this is a real good one, isn't it? I'm going with the one that is pro-life. That is an emotional response that makes no difference in reality. Because your election of any pro-life president has that election of a pro-life president overturned Roe versus Wade. Has it? So it's a moot point. It's an emotional response that is not based in reality. Because we are emotional people. I'm pro-life. But again, do you want to put your hand with the wicked? And having a pro-life president has made no difference to Roe versus Wade, has it? Yet you know how many people use that as an emotional justification for their election. Justification, 
I should just quit and go home at this point. Do you think? Don's like, yeah, you need to go home. He's pointing at the time. Oh, but you know me, I just keep on going. I'm on a roll. The question comes down to, are you going to serve the one true living Elohim, Yahuwah, or the Elohim of we the people? Is it going to be Yahwistic monotheism or the Elohim of secular humanism, which is what? Polytheism. That's what it comes down to. Are you going to serve Yahwistic monotheism or secular human polytheism, we the people? Because in 1776, Yahweh was abandoned. And we the people became the new God, the new national idol. The 18th century replaced the 17th century because in the 17th century, the colonies were grounded in the Torah and the Bible. And in the 18th century, they were grounded in secular humanism and masonry and the occult. That's the truth. Look on the law books in particular, New Haven, Connecticut, look at the change in law. What does Daniel say about those that change law and times? You see, this is the problem. We're still under a theocracy. Oh, yes, we are. Every nation in the world is under a theocracy. Let's not make any bones about it. Every nation, Genesis 11 is under a theocracy. A government's laws always reflect its morality, doesn't it? A government's laws always reflect its morality. And the source of that morality is always its national God. Sometimes morality changes in this nation because the God of this nation is secular humanism, which is polytheism. Someone's morality is always being enforced. And the morality that we serve is the God of secular humanism, which is why the morality always shifts to a base level, because the flesh is always striving to go back to the dirt. It wants to take you down to the mire, to the most base level from that which it came. We need to go back a century before to that time, not the 1700s, but the 1600s or 17th century. Because in New Haven, Connecticut, in 1639, the saints there adopted the Bible and the law of Moses as their constitution. But Daniel tells us to be wary in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, of those that change times and laws. And that's what happened. A change of times and law happened when the U.S. Constitution was adopted by the God, we the people. We went from Puritan colonies who banned Christmas 
followers of Yahuwah and biblical law into citizens of a secular humanism serving the God, we the people, and the holidays of all of those foreign idols. And that's what we were left with. A change of law always brings about a change of deity. That's the truth. About ten more minutes, some of you are watching the clock. Especially the Baptist preacher in the front row. He's like, man, I'm, I'm used to 20-minute sermons on a Sunday. This is outrageous. All right, what are you? Christian Missionary Alliance. Praise Yahweh God. How old are you? 75-year-old preacher sitting in the front row every week, trying, grasping, challenging. Praise Yahweh. I love it. Christian Missionary Alliance. Good foundation. Strong in the scriptures. But we've come a long ways. But you minister to me in ways that you don't even understand. Thank you, brother. Because he understands what it's like to be a pastor and how hard it is. Thank you. I, I really thank you so much. You see, we've just placed a man with secular humanism at the center of everything. And then you make the man the measure of all things, which is (laughs) cray-cray. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 7. They are terrible and bloody dreadful. All right, that was a paraphrase. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. In verse 11. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. Whatever happened to the governments of New England colonies? Whatever happened to the governments of the New England colonies that served Yahweh and upheld the law of Moses and biblical law and said that Christmas was illegal? Whatever happened to them? What do you think's better? What do you think's better? To be ruled by one mad tyrant all the way across the Atlantic, 3,000 miles away? Or to be ruled right here by 3,000 blimmin' lunatics a mile away? Which is better? I'll take being ruled by one tyrant 3,000 miles away than 3,000 tyrants one mile away any day. I'm telling you, that's what your trade-in was. And I'm not a monarchist. Unless it is biblical Torah. And even then, that grieved Yahuwah immensely because he wants to be our king. Right? We've been under martial... We're not under martial law yet, but we have been under martial rule since 1776. 
We have been under martial rule since 1776. There is no worse a downtrodden slave than a slave who believes he's free. That's the worst kind of slave that there is. And what is it that you always hear from your elected officials? Prosperity and freedom. You're not free. You're under martial rule. But you think you're free. Oh, you may be freer than those in Somalia. But does that mean that you're free? Oh, you may be freer than those in Venezuela. But does that mean just because you're freer than them... That doesn't mean that you have freedom. Ask yourself, is the spirit of Yahuwah in the Constitution? Ask yourself, is the spirit of Yahuwah in the Constitution? Because I'm afraid, just like Achan, we've got an accursed thing buried under our tent. It's buried right under Washington, D.C. I mean, look at the architecture of the national idol, we the people. Look what's buried under our tent in Washington, D.C. We need an Abraham. We need a Gideon that is going to be willing to stand up and tear down the idols of our fathers, the idols that our fathers constructed. We need people to stand up And tear down our father's idols and altars. So Yahweh can move upon this last generation and bring us into the millennium. Because we the people's God and morality is not by Yahweh and his biblical law. They're diversely opposed to one another. Just like Elijah said going to be between two opinions. If you're going to serve Yahuwah and the Torah, serve Yahuwah. If you're going to serve we the people and the Constitution, then serve we the people and the Constitution. But don't be between two opinions. You've got to make a stand. Do you want Yahwistic monotheism or secular humanism, which is polytheism? Because you're serving a God Whatever you decide, the one true living Elohim or the gods of the nations. And you can't serve two masters because that's dualism. And dualism has affected and infected 20th century and now 21st century Christianity. Dualism is what Aaron suffered from. Believers aligning with constitutionalists and the sovereign movement are dualists. They're dualists. They're violating their own laws of Torah, the laws of Kilayim, the laws of mixing. And Aaron is the one that practiced dualism. You can't do that. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the Torah. And that's the most important thing. 
that whatever you decide to do when you're ministering and speaking to others, do it in love. This has been a really hard message for some of you. But I'm not here to offend you. And I know that I have offended some. But if I have, you need to go within yourself because Yahweh calls you not to be easily offended as believers. You have to make a choice. 50 years ago, maybe this wasn't important. But we are a generation where we have to make decisions. Now is the time. Now is the time. Sorry to say it, but Trump is not your deliverer. It ain't going to happen. This country is still going down that path to destruction. Maybe it's slowed down, but ultimately, no, it didn't. (laughs) The calm before the storm. Watch out for the hippies at the solstice, the eclipse. All right, I quit. That's it. Enough's enough because I could get silly because I'm tired. But, man, I was a bit nervous about bringing forth this message. I've got to admit. Praise Yah, though, because he is with me, he is with you, and we got through it. Long-winded Matthew. But praise Yah. Think about it. Kristen's nodding in the back. I'm going to drill you with some peanuts. They don't even serve peanuts on planes anymore, right? See, that's secular humanism now. Oh, we don't want to get somebody, you know. The days are gone where they serve. What do they serve us now on aeroplanes, Lee? Oh, biscottis. Yeah, yeah, they're all right, I suppose. GMOs and all that. Anyway. Questions. John is making faces. Questions, brother? No online questions. Any questions? None. Local See, they all bounce. Them? They one all bounce. Here. Hang on. Oh, here we go. Here comes the blooming constitutional lawyer. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, it's more of a comment because um, in, in my sort of history of apologetics, because I, I love getting into apologetics conversations with people, um, doesn't matter what their belief system is. But one of the sort of foundations I found of what can lead you into a good discussion or just to ditch it 100% because they're not going to hear it um, is what they believe about what truth is. And I'm bringing this up because you're talking about secular humanism, absolute truth versus relative truth. And the point there being that a relativist will say that there's, it's not possible to have absolute truth everything's everything's relative but that's a paradoxical statement because you're making an absolute statement about truth when there's only relativity brilliant so that's something you can approach to someone in saying when they have these various beliefs like what where do you think truth stems from and a way to kind of corner them into their own uh statements is to is to just ask them that and if what, who do they think God is or whatever entity they believe in? And from our standpoint, 
we believe in utter absoluteness and truth because of the very entity of who Yahuwah is, right. the essence of who he is. And I've found that in, in coming back to that, and again, this ties in the, the transhuman, uh, not transhumanism, the secular. But that too. Yeah, that too. But secular humanism is they can never stand on an absolute truth. So when you get them to identify an absolute truth, they can't. And that's like the foundation of where their blunder and their um, blindness is, is that they want to cling to relativity for everything. Everything. But you can't ultimately, if you're, in, if you're intellectually honest with yourself. Because you're going to make an it, absolute statement to cling right. to relativity, which is an amazing point. Yeah, so they, they basically, you have to ostrich head your belief system to some degree and just shoo away intellectual honesty to believe this way. And I think that's why there's just so much um, confusion now because no one can admit absolute anything. They want to live in their own reality, you know. So. Right. Good, good. Great statement. Great statement, truly, if you think about that. Thank you. Anybody else? Wow. Pin drops. Oh, did you have a question? Oh, okay. All right. Abba, we thank you, Abba, for your word, Abba. We just pray, Father, that truly that you would guide us in these days, Abba, and how to be wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. And to temper that narrow road that leads to life. And Abba, we understand these days that we live in and that you have called us to be light and salt. But we're not to lose our saltiness, otherwise we are of no value. And I pray, Abba, if I have been too salty today for some, Abba, that, that you would truly show me how to teach with compassion and mercy, Abba, and I just thank you for this opportunity to speak your word. I thank you for your people. Abba, I thank you that we are one. We are Benai Elohim, the children of Elohim. And the Abba, through Yahusha, we have come to know you. And he is our king, the king of kings. And with that, we thank you for the protection and the custodity that you have brought upon us. Because there truly is liberty. Our liberty is in Yahuwah and Yahuwah alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you.